just short of seven years ago, somebody was talking to me. Now, uh, they do not go to Calvary, so don't try to look around and try to find them. Sometimes we wonder who I'm talking about. Uh, but somebody was talking to me, and they said, again, uh, many years ago, that Calvary Baptist Church was shallow. And their exact words were that I had led it to be one mile wide, but Calvary Baptist Church was only one inch deep, and that we evidently are shallow. And they told me, and they were very forthright when they told me, they said, I only had one focus, and I had led this to occur here in our church. In the years since then, occasionally I hear that again, occasionally that comes up again, that I really only have one message, that I only have one focus, and so our church, y'all, we the church, only have one focus. Now, I'm sorry y'all get thrown under the bus with me, uh, but that's what they say. We are a shallow church. Now, be sure, uh, when they're saying that, they are not correct. They are wrong. That is not the truth. We're not shallow. Uh, I believe when they say that, they're being mean. I believe they're being malicious. But let me say this morning, even in saying that and saying it with the wrong motive and saying it with wrong ears, what they are saying is based upon some measure of truth. Now, get this this morning. Hear me this morning. Understand. Listen. Satan does not care what you do. Satan doesn't care what you read. Satan doesn't care what you study. Satan doesn't care what you call religious. In fact, he's all for religion. He doesn't care as long as it's not the word of God. Be sure today, Satan doesn't care, and I'm talking about all churches now, Satan doesn't care who's in the pulpit. Satan doesn't care what is proclaimed from the pulpit. In fact, he's all for preachers and he's all for sermons. And you look today, even he will promote them. He doesn't care who's in the pulpit. He doesn't care what the message is as long as the message is not the word of God. And so today on July 2nd, hear me, listen, seven and a half years later at Calvary Baptist Church, our message will always be, and our message will only be, all the way from the toddler's class to the oldest class to what's preached here on Sunday mornings, the truth of God's word, the Bible. And so if somebody ever says to you, and you ever hear this church only has one focus, we need to say amen. It is the Bible. It is the word of God that points us to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Satan hates that. I'm figuring that out more and more. Satan hates that. The world hates that. The world absolutely hates that. Honestly, a whole lot of people hate that as well. And you look around today, for sure there's an all-out attack battle against the Word of God. And you wonder why that is. It's because in God's Word, we find our hope in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, today, this morning, from God's Word, Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31, the, the second part of a message that we started last week, the reluctant rich evangelist. We're going to see what God says to his people this morning. Again, the second part of last week, the reluctant rich evangelist, Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's Word. Now, I'm going to read the entire section again there, beginning in the 19th verse. Jesus is speaking, and he says this. Now, there was a rich man, 
and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate, covered with sores, and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died, and he was buried. In Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that, I'm, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue. For I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things and likewise Lazarus bad things. But now he is being comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great chasm fixed, so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able, and that none may cross over from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house, so, for I have five brothers, in order that he may warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment." But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today and I'm thankful for you. And I'm thankful for who you are and I'm thankful for your grace and your compassion and your love shown to us even as sinners. I'm thankful for Jesus Christ, our hope, our peace, our only way to be reconciled to a holy God. And so we praise the name of Jesus. We come today and I'm thankful for your word and I'm thankful that we're not here trying to just figure it out on our own. We're not left without direction, but we have the Word of God. And I pray that it would speak to us, that we would endeavor to study it and spend time in it. I, I pray now this morning in this hour as, as it is preached that it again would teach us and correct us and rebuke us and, and draw us closer to you. I, I pray for some here that do not have a relationship with Jesus. I pray, Lord, that in the preaching of your Word, in the drawing of your Spirit, that in this hour they might put their faith in Jesus. We come today and we praise you. We worship you. And we tell you above all things, we love you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you remember last week in our verses, we saw really a great contrast. And I think that is what Jesus was, was painting for us, was setting up for us a great contrast there. First, we see the contrast between the rich man, and how he lived. And then we see the poor man, Lazarus, and how he lived. And so we see that contrast. Now, more than just that, we also saw the contrast of how these two men end up in death. If you remember, the Bible says the poor man, he is in his reward. The Bible says he is in 
the bosom of Abraham. In the Old Testament understanding, that means he would have been in paradise. The Bible also tells us that the rich man, he is found across a great gulf, a great chasm, and he is in torment in hell. Now from that, taking that contrast, if you remember also, from those verses, we saw some very profound truths about hell. We wonder, well, what is hell like? What is, what is hell there for? What's going on in the reality of hell? Well, from those verses, we were able to discern and we're able to see some very profound truths about the reality of hell. Last week we saw, first, that hell is a place of punishment. Hell is a punitive place. It is a place of punishment. It's not some alternative place for those of a different faith. Sometimes we act like, well, it's an alternative destination for those maybe that didn't put their faith in Christ, but it's not going to be so bad. No, it is a place of punishment. It is a place where God's wrath towards sin is poured out on those who have rejected Jesus Christ. They've rejected salvation through Jesus. And so hell is a place of punishment. Part of that, we see second, that hell is a place of agony. And in our modern culture, we want to explain this away. We want to, we want to, we want to dumb this down. And, and, and we're missing the fact that hell is a place of great agony. The verse says torment. We read of this man and he's suffering there and he's in anguish there and he, and he cries out there, oh, for just a drop of water. Oh, just on the tip of his finger. Can you imagine the agony that he's in? Friends, according to what Jesus is saying here, according to what God is revealing here in his word, that ought to terrify us. That ought to repulse us. Honestly, this ought to scare us when we hear this truth about hell. People talk about the old fire and brimstone preachers. And I go around, people say, oh, we had an old fire and brimstone preacher or we had a revival once and an old fire and brimstone preacher came and they, and they go on and it seems like most people say, well, they did everybody a disservice because they scared people about hell. Listen to me. I'm a preacher of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I embrace the good news of Jesus Christ. But be sure the good news means nothing if we're never told about the bad news, that hell is horrible and hell is terrible and we ought to be terrified of the reality of hell. We also see in these verses that it is a place of agony, second, but it's also a place of regret. Hell is a place of regret. The Bible says here for this man that he will remember how good his life was. But now here in this agony, he's also gonna have to remember the truth that he rejected God's truth, that he rejected God's grace. And so he is there and he's now filled with regret. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine 
how sickening that must be. And I, you're there and you're in agony and you're there and you're in punishment and you're facing God's wrath towards sin. But can you imagine on top of that how sickening that must be in the pit of your stomach? Not that you missed it, but that you rejected it. Not that you somehow missed it, but that you had it and it was freely offered to you and you turned your back on it. Oh, the regret that must be in your stomach. The last thing we see is that hell is permanent. We see that the gulf is fixed. That's what the Bible says. It is fixed and it's set by God's own hand. And those on that side, they can never come over to this side. And it is fixed and it is a place that is permanent. Once there, nobody can pray you out. Once you're there, nobody can pay you out. Hell is permanent. And then... In light of that, and then in light of hell, understanding those truths about hell, today we see this man's response to the reality of hell. Today we actually see the reluctant, rich evangelist. Let's look at our verses today as we move on, starting again here in verse 27. In light of that, verse 27, and he said, Then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house. Verse 27 starts off, and in response to that, he said, Then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house. Now, I want to show you two things here in the 27th verse. Now, the first is this. Notice that it says here, I beg you, Father Abraham. He knows who Abraham is. He knows that that Abraham is the father of the Hebrew nation. He he knows his position. He knows that he holds that position because he's the one that God entered into the covenant with. And so evidently he knows the story. Evidently he knows enough to consider him the father of the Jewish people and he knows who Abraham is. Now the, the point of all that is this. Knowing the facts is not knowing God. Knowing the facts, that's not knowing God. Knowing the truth doesn't save you. I'm afraid there's going to be a whole lot of people that are relying on their knowledge of the facts. And I think maybe we encourage that today. Well, if you know the facts, well, if you know a a set of information, you're going to be fine. It's not knowing the facts that saves you. It's knowing Jesus that saves you. Second thing we see here, and really it's the point of it. The second thing is this. In, in light of hell, being in hell, this man determines, I can't find any relief here. I'm not going to have any relief. I can't receive any mercy here. I'm not ever going to receive any mercy. And so then his response is, I beg you. Here I am and I'm in the reality of hell. I can't find any relief. And so because of that, I beg you. The Greek word for beg, it is an earnest request. It means I implore of you. I urgently request of you. I beg you. Hear the intensity in that. In the light of hell, I beg you. I implore of you. Send him, send Lazarus to my father's house. Verse 28. For I have five brothers, 
in order that he may warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. And he said, then I beg you, Father, that you send into my father's house. For I have five brothers in order that he may warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Now I want you to see this. The word warn here, it means to testify, but it has a deeper meaning than that. It means this. Give a solemn evidence and a thorough witness. That's what's wrapped up there in that Greek understanding. Give a solemn evidence and a thorough witness. Another translation that I found says, give full testimony. Give full testimony. It means tell it all to them. Hold nothing back from them. See this, his desire is that Lazarus would go to his father's house and he would find his brothers there at the house and he would tell it all to them, that he would hold nothing back from them so that they would understand it, so that they would get it. See the picture here? He wants Lazarus to go and show up at the man's house and to find these brothers and to grab these brothers and tell them, you know what? This is not make-believe. This is not superstition. There is a heaven and there is a hell and hell is terrible and your brother's there in hell and he's permanently there and he is in agony there and I can see him across this gulf and he's suffering God's anger towards sin and it is terrible. It is a place of torment. And so listen to me, dear brother. Don't go there. Whatever you do, don't go there. That's what the rich man begs. Oh, that you go and you find my brothers and tell them everything. Don't hold anything back. That they might not come here. Listen to the urgency. Let me tell you, for us today, if we really believe the reality of hell, I'd like to believe we'd do the same thing. And we wouldn't hold anything back and we wouldn't worry about what draws a crowd in the church today and we wouldn't worry about what's politically correct today and we wouldn't worry about what's acceptable today but we would warn them and we would testify fully there is a hell and it's a reality and it's terrible and you want to avoid it at all costs and the only way is through Jesus Christ. We wouldn't hold anything back Really the cry of this now rich evangelist is make them understand. Make them understand, don't hold anything back. Oh, that there would have been a day that I understood, but it's too late for me. Don't hold anything back. Make them understand. And that's his desire. Verse 29. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. (coughs) Let them hear them. Now verse 29 is an awesome verse. Let me read that again. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Now stay with me. At first reading, at first it seems like this is a very callous thing to say. Really, doesn't it? It seems like a very harsh thing to say. This guy says, oh, go back and warn my brothers. And it seems like a callous thing. He says, I'll not send him. Let him hear Moses. Let him hear the prophets. That's going to be enough. And it sounds like a callous thing. It seems like a very hard thing. 
Buckle your seatbelts. This is a very big deal. Moses and the prophets. The law, the first five books of the Old Testament, they come from Moses. The prophets, these are the writings of the prophets. Listen to me. Moses and the prophets, it is talking here about Scripture. It is talking here about God's Word. He says, I don't need to send him. They have the Scriptures. I don't need to send him. They have the Word of God. Listen to me today. Listen to what this is saying. Listen. There is no testimony more compelling than the word of God. Listen to me. That's the point of this whole message today. Hear what I'm saying. There is no testimony more compelling than the word of God. Friends, today somehow, and Satan has brought it to us somehow today, we've lost sight of the supernatural impact of the word of God. Somehow today we've lost sight of the power of the word of God. Listen to me, this is not a mere book. And these are not merely words. No, these are the words of the one true living God. And it is living and it's active and it's sharper than any double-edged sword. And it is the revelation of God. And it is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The power of God and the salvation. And it does not return void. But Paul says it is sufficient to give us wisdom that leads to salvation in Jesus Christ. There is supernatural power in the word of God. We've lost sight of that. It is powerful. We need no other argument. We need no other testimony. There is no testimony more compelling than the inerrant, complete, sufficient Word of God. Our Bible contains it all. Let me just tell you something. I'm going to be brutally honest. I'm sick to death and my heart is sick over these charlatans who think that you have to put something with the word of God to make it attractive, that you have to put something with the word of God to make us believe it. And they think today we need some sort of new word and we need some sort of fresh vision and we need some sign, of, some kind of sign that'll accompany it, that it will add to the validity of God's word. Listen to me, that's not the truth. It is not necessary. And I'm gonna tell you something else. It's not of God and it's a disgrace to him. His word is powerful and it is enough. Come along and think, you know what? I've got to do something and I've got to add something that they might believe it. Listen to me. It's the word of God. Believe it or not. We need no other argument. Look at verse 30. Verse 29. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. It's enough. Verse 30, he doesn't believe it. But he said, no, Father Abraham. If someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He doesn't believe it and he says, give them a sign. Send a ghost. Send a man from the dead and let him carry the message. Then they're gonna repent. Don't miss this here. The reluctant, rich evangelist, don't miss his message here. He just revealed to us in verse 30 what is necessary. They will repent. 
The word repent means a change of mind. It means to turn away from yourself, to turn away from self-reliance. Most of all, it means to turn away from sin and to turn from God. This rich man now in the depth of hell, he sees what is necessary and it's not esteem and it's not all the money that he stacked up and it's not good deeds. Some folks say, well, if he'd have taken care of the man at the gate, it's not good deeds. It's not more information. He has all the information. It is a change of heart. Friends, that happens through Jesus Christ. Today, listen to me, we're saved when we realize we're sinners. And we see our state in our sin, our lostness. We see the separation from God in our lostness. We see the punishment that we're going to endure because of our lostness. And by faith in Jesus Christ, we turn away from that sin and he empowers that. And we put our hope and our faith in Jesus Christ. And the Bible says when we do that, we're saved. That's what the scriptures say. Do that today. If you haven't done that, do that today. Just a moment, we're going to have a time of response, a time to respond to this truth. But listen to me, if you're here today and you've never done that, doing good things is not going to save you. Holding the information is not going to save you. It is faith in Jesus Christ that's going to save you. Do that today. Verse 31. But he said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. Now think about what he just says here in the 31st verse. He says again very clearly, there is no witness, there is no testimony more compelling than the word of God. He is sure of that. He trusts in that. There is no testimony more compelling than the word of God. And he says here, and even if someone rises from the dead, they will not be persuaded. Think about that for just a second. Not too far from here, another Lazarus is going to be raised from the dead. John chapter 11 tells the account. Lazarus come forth and he comes out and they they take his grave clothes off of him. He's alive again. Do they believe? If you read the account, they really start to plan and to plot to plan to kill Jesus. Do they believe? No, they start to plan the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. More than that, listen to the words. Even if someone rises from the dead, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Remember who's talking. Jesus is speaking. Even if someone rises from the dead, listen to me, he's gonna die on the cross of Calvary. Many of these people, it's their hands that are gonna put him there. And the many witnesses, he's gonna rise from the dead. Over 500 people are gonna see him and he's gonna reign as the risen savior. And many people are still gonna miss it. And even if someone should rise from the dead, they will not be persuaded. Jesus himself says it. What would it take for you? What would it take for us? We have God's word. Listen. 
to the voice of God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come and I, I come and I'm troubled by our tendency to, to downplay your word, your voice. We want a different authority. We want a different plan. It's not sufficient. It's not enough. It's not attractive enough. It doesn't catch everybody's ear and everybody's eye and so we downplay the word of God. Lord, forgive us of that today. Lord, change our perspective on that today. We have the word of God. Help us to embrace that. Help us to promote that. Help us to stand on that. Help us to teach that. Help us to preach that. That folks would find the truth of the word Jesus and that they might be saved. I pray for some in this room that today do not have a relationship with Christ. I pray that in this room, in this hour, they might put their faith in Jesus. Our only hope, the remedy for sin. I pray that as they sit here today, as they've heard this truth, that they would turn and they would repent and they would embrace the gospel and they would embrace the Savior of the gospel, Jesus. And by faith in him today, they would be saved. I pray for us as a church that we would have a renewed resolve to stand upon your word, to consume your word, but more than that, to take out your word, that a lost and dying world would find the Savior of our word, Word of God himself, Jesus. I ask in this time of invitation that you'd move freely. Pray if there's decisions that need to be made, Lord, that you'd remove any hindrance to that. And that today for your glory and in your will that decisions will be made. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.